Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on The Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. from the flame, took the noonday warmth and the morning hush. Now the ground's spilling beneath me, the ropes are uncoiling, the trees are leafless, the sky is torn. My breath's a broken feather, there's no beauty left. There's nothing here for me, I'm paper thin. I'm in a room of shadows and it's caving in. I'm turning in circles, I'm giving up. The world is giddy, the sense is gone. The floor is an ocean, I'm sinking in. Where are you now? Where is your touch? Where is the reason, the answer, the end? Now I'm chasing your shadow and I'm grasping for questions. I'm calling out, I'm asking why. Yet when I turn, you turn. When I reach, you reach. And in the searing burn, you wait for me. Dress my tears in kisses, cradle my grief. Touch me in the silence, hold me in the heat. And when the ragings rush, drown me in defeat. I make my bed of dust, and you lie with me. You know, as you see that video, I think that's how many of us feel, that sense of almost being in a cocoon. (laughs) You feel like life has stopped as we shelter in place. And a lot of us struggle with the emotions of that, of wondering if life's ever going to get back to normal. I love the way that that modern day psalm ended, as we saw in the video, that as hard as it is, we know we're not alone in it. We know God's with us, and we know he's moving. You know, it's good to be together as a church family, and as we continue off of what was actually a great Easter, we're starting a new series entitled Cocoon, because I think it's a series that helps us focus on what's going on right now and how we prepare for the the new world that we're going to emerge into one day. I hope you had a great Easter. Mine was a little surreal, uh, watching myself, being at home with the kids, yeah, but the service was great, especially the testimonies of so many people who experienced life change. And we're hearing from so many. We, we don't know the total numbers. It's hard to tell. You know, there's thousands of views that go out. 
But more than anything, as we start hearing stories of people who took that faith step of embracing Christ for the first time in their lives, it's made it so exciting. Now, as you shelter in home, I, I hope you're doing well. As you can tell, I still don't have a haircut. Um, you know, it's growing out. Somebody emailed in. They said, Tim, if you're going to grow out the 70s hair, you might as well grow out some sideburns with it as well. I, I don't know what all that means or what 70s hair is. I promise you I'll never show up with a man bun. We'll, we'll cut it one way or another before that. But uh, leave and looked and saw online there's this haircutting consultant that you can go online and they'll consult you on how you should cut your own hair. It was only $18. Uh, for $18, some hands need to come through the screen and actually know what they're doing. So until then, I told her, we're just letting it grow, baby. So we're, we'll all deal with it as we go. I, I hope you're dealing with it. I think some of the extroverts I know are struggling because they need more social interaction. Although I've heard from introverts who are going a little crazy because the extroverts in their household won't leave them alone. So on both sides of the equation, I think we're dealing with this in different ways. And honestly, we, we don't know when it will end. Uh, I'm hoping that there'll be some uh, rollout of some step back over the next few weeks, but we don't really know. And, and as I looked at it, there's a part of me that kept looking forward at like, when will it get back to normal? When will life start again? And then God started convicting me. You know, before it gets back to normal, maybe he doesn't want it to be normal anymore. Maybe he's doing something new in the world. And we have a season now to prepare for that new thing, to be a part of what he's doing. You know, I go back to the image of a cocoon. You know, if you see a little cocoon, it looks like it's a place of inactivity. Actually, there's a lot going on inside. I mean, you think about that little caterpillar, he's motoring along in life, but then suddenly this huge life change comes where it's time and it spins the cocoon around itself. And inside it, what looks still to us has a lot of activity. As I, I researched about it, it's, it's kind of cool what's going on. You know, I never really thought about it. I, I thought kind of a caterpillar started growing wings or, or what happened with its body. It, it actually breaks down completely. The old caterpillar is broken down, something new. It's like insect recycling is how scientists put it. And, and as they described it, it was kind of cool to me. The, the caterpillar body digests itself from the inside out. The same juices it used to digest its food is now being used to break down its whole body. Now, some of you are going, Tim, that is so gross. But if we're honest, some of us are having the same process going on with our bodies if we don't get out of the house soon breaking down more than we like to admit to ourselves. Here's the cool thing, though. In that breakdown, what's created are these imaginal cells. That's what they call them. And they're undifferentiated cells. What that means is they're, they're not assigned in any way. And so that caterpillar breaks down, and literally those cells reform into a new body, into a new structure, into wings, New purpose in life. It, it literally is a metamorphosis. It's a transformation that happens. It's awesome how God created it in nature. You know, in Romans 12, it tells us that we're not to be conformed. We're not to be molded by the world. And, and Paul uses the exact same words. He says we're to be transformed. There should be a metamorphosis of our lives through the renewing of our minds. So, so that we can live out the lives, our spiritual lives, the way God designed it. What if in this season, 
instead of begrudging it, instead of wishing it was over, instead of always looking forward for, for when does life return, what if we really embrace that God wants to change us right now? What if he wanted to do some things now that would never happen otherwise? Because he's preparing us for a new world to come. New world that, that as we step back out and we reemerge, guys, I don't think our world's gonna be the same. We don't know how much it's gonna change, but I think there's gonna be new opportunities. And so over the course of these few weeks, here's what we're gonna focus on. How do we prepare relationally for the new world and the new changes? How do we prepare financially for some serious changes on the horizon? How do we prepare missionally as a church? And this week, I think it really is the most important. How do we prepare spiritually? How do we use this time right now in the cocoon to spiritually see God do something in our lives so that we can be most effective most fruitful when we step out again. You know, there's a passage that stood out to me. If you've got a Bible, I'm going to encourage you, go ahead and turn to your Bible. Uh, or maybe you can click online, you can see it on screen. If someone there has a Bible, if you're with the group, you can pull it out. Because I'm going to read through it in the passage. I think there's some health in, in reading through together. I'll highlight some verses on the screen. But I wanted to read through the passage first. In John 15, as, John talks to his, as Jesus talks to his disciples, and they're in the upper room, and again, this is that night before his crucifixion. A couple of weeks ago, I looked at John 14 and how he prepared them. Now he's preparing them spiritually, and he's telling them a pattern, and I think it's a pattern for us that we can use during this time. Listen to the illustration he uses. John 15, starting in verse 1. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that he may bear more fruit. Already you're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. It's a powerful passage. And, and you'll notice Jesus keeps emphasizing the same words over and over again because there's some core principles that he wants us to grab. If you look in your notes, you'll see there's kind of five things that jumped out at me. And as we walk through it, if you look at the first thing, the first thing Jesus points out that Jesus is the only source of true life. He's the only source of true life. He, he makes an exclusive claim here. Uh, sometimes we read right past it and, and we don't realize how strong it is that he's claiming. Look at verse one. In verse one, he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Now, for us, this is just kind of an illustration he's using. 
For his audience who heard it, especially for the Israelites, this is a powerful illustration. And it's also a powerful claim. Because in the Old Testament, one of the main illustrations that was used to describe the nation of Israel was that of a vine, especially a grapevine. Psalm 80 talks about that you planted this grapevine in the land. You brought it out of the land of Egypt. Throughout the Old Testament, it was a sign of God's blessing, a sign of prosperity, that, that Israel as this grapevine that was planted in the land was there to bless the world. But then the prophets point out, starting with Jeremiah and others, as as they start to declare, you were planted as this beautiful vine, but you didn't fulfill what you were supposed to be. You didn't bring life to the world the way you should. And then Jesus comes and, and he makes a claim. I'm the vine and I'm fulfilling and I'm bringing the life that Israel never did. I'm bringing the life through this new covenant that the old covenant couldn't. That the old covenant, as good as it was, and as good as the temple system was, as good as all of that was, it couldn't bring the life that only Jesus can bring. And he makes this exclusive claim. Notice he says, I am the true vine. In other words, there are no other vines. There's no other source of life. And again, I think it's important, Jesus can make these kind of claims because he backed them up. That's what Easter was all about. Easter proved he was the true source of life. That he came and not only died on a cross, but he rose from the dead. And that's what we celebrated Easter weekend, but we celebrate it every weekend. That Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And only Jesus. No other teacher offers that. No other source, no other religion. Even Israel itself couldn't provide it. And Jesus makes this claim. And many of you, you experienced that last weekend as you took that step of faith, as you recognized that Jesus not only died, but he rose again. And you're experiencing that life in your life right now. And some of you, you're still wrestling with it. Maybe you watched last week. Maybe you've been thinking about it. Maybe you see it from afar, but you've never experienced it. And I want to tell you, you'll never experience the life that we're talking about until you take that faith step, until you believe that he not only died, but he rose again, that he is the true vine, the living vine, our source of life. Now with that, notice he points out for us then, for each of us, and you see the next point, for me personally, even if I've taken that faith step, I must abide in him in order to experience any spiritual growth in my life. Over and over, we kept hearing the same words in that passage, abide in fruit, abide in fruit. And and so there's a core principle that he's telling each one of us. You have to abide. This word means to reside, to live, to stay with. It's probably a word that we know pretty well right now. Uh, We're abiding at home. You, You know what that principle, I've got to stay there. And so part of what Jesus is pointing out, in fact, look in the passage as he makes it very explicit. He says, abide in me and I in you. We we do life together. We stay together. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branch. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Now, he's using this principle. 
And, and he's using a vine and, and thinking of a grapevine and the branches off of it. I, I grabbed a branch off a tree. It's not a grapevine. But if you look at a, a branch, and I, I got this off a tree and all around it, it fell by this living tree. At one point, you can see there was growth that happened with this branch. But, but none of us would ever look at a branch like this and have expectation that growth is ever going to come, that you're ever going to see leaves, that you'll ever see fruit. I mean, it's just a clear principle. As soon as it's down, we immediately know. What do we say? Oh, it's a dead branch. It's done. I, I could squeeze it. I could exhort it. I could try to push it. Nothing's going to come. It really is that clear. You know, the same is true about us. That's what Jesus is pointing. You don't have any ability in of yourself to produce life. None of us in of ourselves, have the ability to produce fruit. And we can try harder. We can exhort ourselves. We can tell ourselves, okay, tomorrow morning, man, I'm going to really do it. And, and the reality is we do this often. We have good intentions or we're going to try harder. But we're just branches. We're not the vine. Th that's why Jesus is so crystal clear in this passage. He says, you have to abide in me. So that you can produce fruit. Now, when he uses that term fruit, what is he talking about? Usually kind of three ways in the New Testament that you see fruit. Three things that are pointed. The, one of the key ways is character. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. The, the kind of character that you want to have in life. The kind of character that shapes a person. Is a fruit that I don't have the ability to produce on my own. Oh, I can try harder. And I can have good intentions. But it only comes as I abide with him. I do life with him. I'm connected to him. It only comes through that spiritual overflow in my life. You know, another form of fruit is our impact in the world, our witness in particular. Other people seeing Christ and coming to Christ through our witness and through our impact. And again, I don't have the ability to change anybody's life. I don't have the ability to change anybody toward Christ. But as I abide with him, as that strength comes through each of us, we have that impact. A third fruit that you see is praise. It's thanksgiving. It's worship. And I think we think we can manufacture that in of ourselves, but even the ability to praise God has to come from God. As I stay closer to him, it marks my life. It marks my thought. And so right now in this season where we're cocooning, where we don't have as many opportunities as we have before. This would be a great time for each of us to evaluate, how's the fruit in my life? Man, am I seeing the character qualities that I want to see? Am I impacting others for Christ? Man, is thanksgiving and praise, is, is that marking my life? Does that flow out of me? And in each of those things, maybe you look at him and you go, man, I am not seeing the fruit. Now, now hear me. Jesus doesn't say in that moment, go produce fruit. Get your act together. No, what does he teach us? If, if we're not experiencing the fruit, now's the time to abide that much more. To be connected to him. To learn from him. To do life with him. Now, another principle he teaches in this, though, is it's not just the abiding, there's also some actions he takes 
At times, Jesus chooses to prune our lives in order to produce more growth. There's a pruning process where he cuts back. And, and it's counterintuitive to us that pruning would lead to growth. Look how Jesus put it in the passage. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch, and he, here's the part that's counterintuitive, every branch that does bear fruit, even people, man, we are in Christ, we're abiding in Christ, there's bearing fruit. Even those branches, though, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. If you know anything about vines or vineyards or fruit-bearing trees, they have to be pruned. Even a good branch, even a producing branch is cut back. And the pruning process is painful. And sometimes God uses a pruning process in our life. Sometimes it's discipline. And the pain of it doesn't seem pleasant at the time. Look how the writer of Hebrews puts it. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. It's painful, not pleasant, but it, it yields fruit. The fruit of righteousness, the fruit of character. I become more like the person Christ made me to be through that process. You know, here, here in the valley, you can look all around, there's vineyards everywhere. And if you ever go look at a vineyard, and just reading about it, it takes years to produce wine. And when they plant the vineyard, especially a wine-producing vineyard, the first year, they, as soon as it has any shoots, they cut it back. Second year, the shoots come out, they cut it back again. The third year, it finally produces some fruit. Most of the uh, vintners will leave the fruit on the vine. They just let it stay there. It's not ready yet. It's not until the fourth year that it finally produces the grapes that can be used to start making wine. It takes about seven years in before you start seeing wine. I read that most vineyards, wine-producing vineyards, it takes about 15 years before they start even hitting a break-even of their investment. It is a long process. It's a long process with slower growth than we'd like. It's a process where there's pruning and cutting back in order to get the kind of fruit that you desire. You know, in many ways, God does this in our lives. He's more patient than we are. And at times, he is willing to prune, to cut back, in order that we can produce more fruit, in order that we can be more fruitful in our lives. You know, as I think about this season, this kind of cocooning season, where we feel stuck and our schedules aren't the same. In some ways, I feel busier. I have Zoom fatigue now. It's a new term for me, where you've just had too many Zoom meetings in that. But in other ways, the schedule's been really disrupted. And, and in that time, that pruning period, it's a great time to evaluate what are some of the activities that got pruned back that I didn't really need? What are some of the things maybe I was spending time on you know, honest confession, you guys know me. I love sports. I really, I love sports. I love all sports. That's got a ball or a puck. And, and I've realized, you know, because sports have come to a standstill, how much time that it was easy for me maybe just flip on a game. And again, I love sports and I look forward to them coming back. But the pruning's been healthy. 
Because it gives me a window to evaluate. How am I using this? What could God be doing during this time? How do we effectively look at this? And I would encourage you, because it is so easy to get caught in a trap where we're constantly looking forward of when will this end? When will life be normal again? And maybe God's pruning us back because he doesn't want that normal anymore. Maybe instead of normal, he wants fruitful. And he's taking us through a process to prepare us to be that much more fruitful in our lives, in our character, in our praise, and in our witness in the world to come. Now, as we do that, you, you see the next principle, to abide in him, to experience that. Jesus points out the Bible and prayer are key to abiding. Th these two aspects, the Bible and prayer, are going to be fundamental to any process of growing close to him, of abiding in him. And, and as I say that, look, look how he put it in the passage here. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you may bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Now, look, he said, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you. My truth is a part of your life. And we know his words are the word. The Bible is living and active. It's like no other book. We don't worship the Bible. The Bible is not our God. We don't worship the Bible. And make that explicitly clear. But the Bible is this divine communication from God to us. And it speaks to us from him. It has impact in our life. It convicts us. It encourages us. It trains us. It exhorts us. This combination of our, his words abide in us. And then notice he says, whatever you wish, ask whatever you wish. As we're speaking to him, as we're talking to him, as we're praying, we get transformed by his words so that we pray according to his will. That always happens. The, the more I know him, the more his word is a part of me, the more I spend time with him, it transforms my thought life. It transforms my prayer life. And it's absolutely fundamental right now that we're engaged in those. I, I'd encourage you, what about you? What, what if God has pruned back some of our activity, pruned back some of the things we're involved with to prepare us to have this time now to really go deep with him, to, to spiritually experience him again. You know, it's been real rewarding for me every Wednesday night. We, we have a prayer meeting on a Zoom call with the church. Everyone's invited. And, and every Wednesday night, just gathering together in that exercise of corporate prayer together, to, to have more time for personal prayer, to have time to be able to read God's word. Because maybe we need to admit some of us were more spiritually dry than we like to admit. You know, I heard the story of a house in New Hampshire that outside the house it had a well. And, and the well was known for the coldest, purest water. Over the years, no matter how hot the summer, no matter what kind of drought came, the well always had water. Till finally, modernization caught up with the house and electricity came and then they had indoor plumbing and they really didn't need the well anymore. And they covered it up and they said, we'll keep it covered and it'll be there if we ever need it. And a few years passed and the owner of the house decided, you know, I want to taste that well water. And he went out to the well, he uncovered it, dropped the bucket down and when he pulled it up, he looked down at the bottom, the well was dry. And he was shocked. 
I mean, this well had never dried up. He went around and asked some of the older locals if they knew anything about it. And one man just kind of shook his head. He said, you need to realize a well like that, it wasn't fed by any one stream. It was actually fed by little tiny rivulets of water that would come in. And as long as you were drawing water out of it and the water was flowing through those rivulets, the water would keep coming no matter what. But when you stopped drawing, then the water didn't go anywhere. And the mud slowly clogs up all those rivulets and the well dries up. You know, that's a great picture that can happen so often in our lives. In our busyness, in our activity, in all that we're doing, we're not taking in that spiritual nourishment like we should. We're not drawn from the living water. We're not spending time in the Word like we did or, or pray. What if God said, you know what, let's prune back some time. Let's change some activity. Let's give them the opportunity right now to, to reimmerse again, to, to drink deeply again, to spend time in His Word, to spend time in prayer. You know, I looked at a stat. You know how long it would take you to read through the entire Bible? And this was a stat, it, to read it aloud. You could probably read it quicker, silently. But to read it aloud, you can read through the Bible at a, at a reasonable pace in 70 hours and 20 minutes. The Old Testament's 52 hours. It was 70 hours and, and 40 minutes, actually. So the Old Testament was 52 hours and 20 minutes. And, and the New Testament is only 18 hours and 20 minutes. You read through the whole thing. I mean, you, you look at that, that's not a lot of time. And yet we can convince ourselves, ah, I don't really have time to read the Bible. Yet, I just would challenge you. We suddenly have found time to watch hours of the Tiger King or a binge watch again, Breaking Bad or all the Pixar movies or whatever your cue has. It's amazing how much time we can find for some of those activities. And again, I'm not getting down on you. I'm just encouraging you while we're here, while we have this time, why not spend it engaging the Word? Engaging prayer. Read every day, even if it was just a chapter a day. Take a day, maybe a morning, you go, you know, I'm going to go deep with it. And read through a whole book. You can read through the book of Luke in a couple of hours. Just read through it and immerse yourself in it. Let's change our patterns right now while we have this opportunity. See, abiding means I spend time with him. I want to hear from him. I'm connecting with him through his word and prayer. You know, one final thing he points out about abiding, and we don't always think about this as abiding, but Jesus says ongoing obedience is key to experiencing the fullness of his love. Part of abiding is not just hearing his word, but his word's changing my life. I'm actually living according to his word. And he says it's the key to experiencing the fullness of his love. Look at the passage at the end of it there, he says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his, his love. Now, let, let's be real clear on this, because a lot of people get this twisted. Jesus is not teaching you have to obey in order to earn his love. That's not what he teaches. 
In fact, he says, I'm calling you to do the same thing I do with my heavenly father. And Jesus never had to earn the father's love. He always experienced the father's love from eternity past. In the same way, we don't earn God's love. God loved us while we were still sinners. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God came up with a plan, and it started with his love. For God so loved the world, he sent his only son. So we never have to doubt God's love. God's love is always there. But, but here's what he's saying. If you don't abide in him, and if we choose to disobey, man, we're not experiencing his love fully. And it's not because God's pulled back from us. It's because we pulled back from him. See, when I, I make those choices, and, and I experience it in my own life, when I make a choice that I go, I, I don't want to obey, I don't want to do that, I just willfully disobey at times. And in those moments, God doesn't stop loving me. But you know, in my experience, man, I'm not feeling that. I'm not experiencing the joy Jesus described in that passage. He said, I'm telling you things because I want the Father's joy to be full in you. I want you to experience all of life in that. You know, we see it in our household right now. There's a lot of people, a lot of kids, and we're all trying to figure out life. And sometimes one of the kids might get a bad attitude or make a poor choice, and, and they're pulling away in that. Now, as their father, I don't stop loving them. But I do step in. And I go, no, you can't act like this. You can't talk like that. You can't pull away like that. You're not going to experience what this family was meant to be as long as you're doing that. And I do that out of love. Why? Because I want them to experience all the love of our household, all the goodness that's there. In the same way, that's what Jesus is describing. Because you've got to remember, God is love. God is goodness. God is all that's right in the world. And so when I make a sinful choice, when I step out, I'm stepping away from who God is. I'm stepping away from the very source of love itself. So of course I'm not going to experience joy. Of course it's not going to work. See, it's not about God trying to correct people so they can be obedient. It's about God knowing what is best and what is good what is truly loving, and calling us to it so that we can experience it. You know, maybe in this season right now, God's convicting you about some things in your life. Maybe you're realizing some patterns that you've had. Maybe it's an attitude that you're carrying around or the way you treat people in your household. And right now, it could be harder for you you might be struggling about what you're looking at online or what you're watching. You just know you don't need to fill your mind with that. You know, some of you are probably drinking a little too much. You're sitting at home and it's easy to start drinking more. And here's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to tell you, well, this time's not normal. This doesn't really matter. You ought to indulge yourself. Where's God? See, see he wants you to use this time to make it worse, because that's what he always does. Guys, don't fall for it. When you feel that conviction from God, it's not a God who's mad at you and he's wanting to come in and punish you. Christ already bore our punishment. It's a God that loves you. 
And he's using that conviction in your life to draw you back into his love so that you can experience his joy, so you can experience his fullness. I mean, ask yourself, anytime you make those choices, are you ever happier on the other side of it? Anytime you make a poor and sinful choice, I know in my life, it never leads to where I thought it would. It's never the goodness I was hoping for. But anytime I'll come back to him in humility, anytime I'll trust him even in hard obedience, man, it, it produces a joy in life because here's what I'm doing in that moment. I'm expressing my trust with him, that he is love, that he is goodness. Guys, it's a different season right now. And a lot of it will be how we approach it. We're all in the cocoon. We don't have a choice when we can start doing life normally again. I, I would implore you, spiritually prepare right now. Use this time to draw near to Christ, to abide in Him. Use this time to get in His Word again. Use this time to pray again. Use this time to look at your heart and go, man, is God pruning anything back and embrace that? Use this time, and if He's convicting you, come to Him. Confess it. Embrace his correction and his love so that together we can see what he's doing. The world may not be normal again, but I promise you this, it can be fruitful. But it, it depends on how you approach it. You know, I'll close with one of the most powerful examples in my life of, of a man going through a season that could have turned him very bitter. It was years ago, I was in college, and it was part of a group that we would go on Sunday mornings to this uh, retirement home, this nursing home. It was in South Carolina. It was in a little country town. And frankly, the facility wasn't very well kept. Uh, you, you could tell it, it was pretty poor and uh, wasn't as clean as it should be. Most of the people there had dementia. They didn't have much money. And we would go and put on this little church service every week. And, and I, I wouldn't even thinking about ministry at that point. I was just part of a team serving. But it was the first place I ever preached was in that little nursing home. And, uh, you know, I noticed with this group of people, most of them had dementia. They really didn't want an exegetical study. Some of the, the preacher boys, the guys that were preparing for ministry, they would do these elaborate sermons. And I'd always look at them like, that's not what these people want. So every time I'd preach, I'd just kind of get up there and get them going a little bit. I'd say a phrase and they'd say a phrase and, and we'd go back and forth. And it was just a great time with that. But it was pretty much the same experience every week. Until one week, I looked out, and there was a gentleman in the crowd, and he, he was unlike the rest of them. He was really well-dressed. He was clean. You could tell he just kind of had a regal air about him. And so afterwards, I started to, to hang out with him each week. I got to know him as a man named Forrester. And, and he just had a, an air about him. He's kind of like the grandfather you'd always want to have, just this kind, older African-American man. And as we would sit and talk, finally one day I couldn't stand anymore. I, I just said, Forrester, why are you here? He said, what do you mean? I said, why are you here? You're not like the rest of the people here. Why are you here? He pulled out a picture. He said, have I ever shown you my wife? He said, she's the love of my life. We were married over 55 years. We never could have kids, but I loved her. Then he kind of looked away, 
He said she got cancer a couple of years ago. She fought it hard. We used all of our life savings fighting cancer. And then she died. And he kind of looked down and he said, I'm here because I have nothing left. I'm here because I can't afford anywhere else. And I just kind of sat in the sadness of that. I, I didn't know what to say. And then he looked up and he smiled. And I'll never forget, he took his hand and he placed it right on top of mine. And he said, you don't worry about me, son. I'm going to be all right. He said, Here, here's what you need to know. My wife loved Jesus. She was close to Jesus. She would spend hours in her day with Jesus. And she would always encourage me that I should spend some more time with Jesus. You know, I always believed, but over the course of my life, I never really seemed to have enough time to spend with him. But now I do. See, I think God has me here so that I can get closer to him and get closer to Jesus. And then he kind of smiled and he said, who knows, maybe I'll catch up to her before I get up to heaven. He smiled one more time. He said, don't you worry about me, son. This is good because I'm not alone. Man, that's a powerful testimony of a man who was in a place he didn't want to be, certainly not in the season of life the way he wanted to end it. But instead of resenting it, instead of always looking ahead or, or being bitter or resentful, he embraced, okay, God, you have me here, and you're with me here, and you're doing something in me. I would encourage each one of us. We are in this season, in this cocoon. And I think God can do something now, especially spiritually, if we embrace it. If we embrace it personally. If we look to him and abide in him. And that we recognize like Forrester, this is good. Maybe not what I wanted, but this is good. And I am not alone. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what Christ teaches us. Lord, I thank you for this season. I, I pray. I pray that you would do your good work in me. I pray for each one of us. I pray you'd prepare us as a church. I pray you'd prepare us as husbands and wives, as mothers and fathers, as young people, as people that are going to be going back out into a world that we've never lived in before. Lord, we want to bear much fruit. And so we confess we have the inability to bear any fruit. We, we can't do it without you. And so we come to you knowing that you're a God who has chosen to bear fruit through us. Lord, we thank you for that prospect. We thank you for your gift. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. And Lord, I, I pray for each person hearing this. I pray that we would make that choice to say this is good where we are because we are not alone. This is good because God's doing something now that he can never do otherwise. And may you prepare us for a new normal, 
for a new world, a world that you're designing, that you've called us to go minister in. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.